Well, hello, and uh, welcome to Zesty's Biology. In this podcast, uh, we're going to develop on some of the things that we mentioned in the previous podcast relating to uh, food webs and the movement of energy through ecosystems, um, and look at some of the, well, all of the interactions that exist between organisms uh, in ecosystems. Now, a key concept in, in these interactions is, is a, a biological term called a niche. Now, before making this podcast, I, I was really using the word niche more like habitat. And so I would, you know, uh, say something like oh, the, 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 the niche of that particular organism or the niche of this bird um, and what I was referring to was really its habitat, where it lives. But that's not the correct definition of a niche. Um, a niche of an organism is the role that that organism plays within its ecosystem. So where that organism can be found is just one aspect of the niche. But all of the interactions that an organism has with the other organisms um, and the, the abiotic environment itself uh, constitutes the niche. It's, it's the complete picture of, of how that organism operates within an ecosystem. And so to describe an organism's niche, you really need to be able to describe every type of interaction that that organism has with the other organisms, uh, plants and animals, in, in that particular animal's environment where, where it can be found. Now, the, a, another idea in the word niche that I've kind of used incorrectly in the past is that a niche is a very small, specific uh, description of, of a small space. And often it's used like that when it's referred to outside of biological terms. It's a, it's, it's a small environment that an organism can have. But some, some organisms' niches, or the niche of an organism can be, in terms of its habitat, and this comes back to the incorrect use of the word niche, but some organisms' habitats can be very, very large and they can have an, an impact on multiple ecosystems, multiple smaller sub-ecosystems. And so it's important when you're talking about a niche to, to really look at it in that all-encompassing role of, of an animal inside its ecosystem. So to be able to describe a niche correctly and thoroughly, we need to be able to um, look at the the different interactions that, that that organism has. And so that's, that's the primary part of this podcast is to be able to describe the interactions between organisms in their niche. Now, it's very difficult for uh, two organisms that have identical niches to operate in the same ecosystem. 
uh, without experiencing competition. And, and generally, uh, you, you can describe an organism's fundamental niche, and this is uh, the theoretical or potential use of resources in a partic- for a particular species. However, it's very rare that uh, an organism will get to use an ecosystem without some type of competition interrupting it. And so when you look at the actual or realised niche, uh, you're considering the actual use of resources that that organism has. And that, that actual niche is very dependent on competition with other species um, with, that, that have uh, similar demand for resources. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a great example uh, given of, of an organism's niche in your textbook, and it re- relates to some uh, different type of little barnacles found on the rocks in the intertidal zone uh, on, a, on a coastline ecosystem. Now, the actual niche of one of these little barnacles is found between the low watermark and the high watermark. Another niche found by the other type of barnacle um, doesn't extend all the way to the high water line. Uh, it only goes about halfway up uh, up the, the tidal, the intertidal zone. But interestingly, just because one of those barnacles can live the whole way through and the other can only live in the first half of the intertidal zone, because of the competition between those two types of barnacles, the, the species, the actual niche of the species that can live the whole way through, because of the competition, is actually, or the realised niche, is only found in, in the top area of the intertidal zone where uh, the other type of barnacle can't live and so the realized niche of of uh, that barnacle that can live that that the, the, its fundamental niche is the entire intertidal zone its actual niche is only the top end of the intertidal zone and it's just an example of the fun the fundamental niche compared to the actual niche now Lots of species aren't in competition with each other. And alternatively, those species can have uh, symbiotic relationships with each other. And in those symbiotic relationships, the the term symbiotic relationships is often used, and maybe in in junior high school, you might uh, use the word symbiotic to be a positive relationship where they both work together uh, um, and they both benefit from that relationship. This, this type is, is typified by the clownfish sea anemone relationship where the clownfish fish protects the sea anemone and uh, the sea anemone gives the clownfish a, <clears throat> a home to live in and an and a environment to live in. But uh, that's really an example of mutualism 
And this is a subcategory of symbiosis. Now, there's a number of other uh, symbiotic relationships that organisms will have with each other. Um, for example, and the next one is commensalism. Now, some species of, of plants, for example, epiphytes, uh, they can live on, on a tree or on the, one of the branches of a tree and, and they don't impact that tree that they live on in any way. Um, the, the, the tree gets no benefit, but it's not harmed in that relationship. And so the epiphyte gets an environment or a place to live. It benefits greatly from the, that relationship and the other organism gets no benefit. And there's lots of different examples of commensalism, which is a subclass of symbiosis. Uh, tree ferns, for example, um, uh, is an, uh, one of these epiphytes. Now, this is the this is the the, the next class of symbiotic relationship is one that's often overlooked or not included in that symbiotic relationships where there's positivity going on. Uh, well, there is, but this is parasitism. Now, for this type of relationship, the parasite uh, gets a benefit from a host, uh, but there is a negative impact on the host. Now, often in a lot of parasitic relationships, the, there's no significant harm to the host because if the host was to die, well, that would, uh, that would negatively impact the parasite. So the parasite has a small uh, energy draining relationship maybe on, on the host. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a negative relationship there for the host. So things like ticks, heartworms. Now, um, there's, a type of, there's a type of plant that, that grows in a parasitic relationship, and this is mistletoe. Now, mistletoe will grow uh, on the plant and put its roots into the plant, into the plant stem and take some of the, the energy and sugars made by the plant. And often the, the end of that tree from where the, parasite, the mistletoe is attached will die. And so you can see there that that would be a parasitic relationship as well. Now, the last one is one that I, I have in, in preparing for this podcast. I, I hadn't really heard of it before, but this is immensalism. Now, in this, uh, this type of symbiotic relationship, there, there is a negative relationship on one of the organisms um, and no relationship to the other. Now, I'll give you an example um, a large colony of sea lions living in an area, for example, uh, would, could, could squash and damage and kill all of the types of uh, plants that grow in that area and, and the area where those sea lions live could become very barren. And, um, and so in this immensalism um, relationship, the negative effect is experienced by all of that plant life and, and flora found on the ground. The, it's just an accident by the, um, the sea lions. They're not intending to, they're not eating the plants. They're not getting any benefit from the plants at all, but uh, they've, they've killed them all and 
and there's no plants growing in that area. And, and that type of relationship is also a subclass of symbiosis. So there's some pretty important distinctions to make there. And, um, and you can imagine uh, one of these types of relationships being described to you for exam purposes anyway, and, and you're needing to be able to identify what type of symbiotic relationship um, is in there. Now, the, the next type of um, interaction that can exist or be described in the niche of an organism is predation. Now, I, I, don't, I don't need to go through this type of relationship. Um, this would have been done to death in junior, junior high school and primary school. But there is one example that I wouldn't mind uh, highlighting to you that I found on YouTube uh, once that I was watching and I watched this one with my son and, and he wanted to watch it a thousand times. But uh, these, uh, it's a, a small species of deer uh, found in Africa and they were doing a river crossing. And there was about 20 or 30 of these animals. Uh, and anyway, the, the lead matriarch, the, the, the lead female of the group, jumped into the water and led the, the pack of, I think they're called ampullas. I'm not sure. I can't remember the name of them. Anyway, um, following that, there was an absolute massacre um, of where, where every crocodile in the river was waiting for this, this small little group of, of deer to cross the, the water. It, it really was something to see. If I've, I, I haven't learned how to put a link in, but if I can find the way to put the link in, I'll, I'll put the link into that uh, YouTube clip. It, it'll it'll uh, make clear predation uh, most aptly. Anyway, I'll leave that one there and, uh, and I'll move on. Now, um, the, the, the next type of interaction that I'd like to deal with in, in this podcast is competition. Now, competition can be broken up into a number of subclasses. And um, again, I can, I can foresee a description of some type of competition occurring and you needing to be able to identify that type of uh, competition. So, well, I'll start with the first one, and this is interspecific competition. And this type of competition exists uh, between uh, different species for the same resource. So, look, there, there's an, any number of types of examples here, but uh, for example, um, nectar-eating um, creatures, maybe birds, uh, some type of nectar-eating birds and uh, honeybees or native Australian bees all going for nectar in flowers. And, and when, a, when a particular plant flowers, often you can see this, this competition going crazy with all types of organisms uh, competing for that resource. So that's an example of interspecific competition. The next uh, type of competition is intra-specific competition. And this is competition that exists between individuals in the same species for uh, the same resource. Now, um, an example of intraspecific competition may be the lead crocodile in an area. Now, these, this type of competition is um, the, the largest and most aggressive male crocodile in an area usually rules the area. This crocodile gets to eat first on any, 
on any kills that are made and the smaller crocodiles wait in turn. So that would be an, an example. Now that same crocodile also competes for uh, mates and any other male crocodiles in the area um, will, will be attacked or will, will stay very clear of this lead crocodile. So there's, there's an, an example of intra-specific competition. The, the final example is competitive exclusion. And this is where one species successfully utilizes a resource at the exclusion of another, where they both can't get the resource. Or they both can't utilize that resource. Um, I, I'm just thinking now of an example of competitive exclusion. Um, when a tree falls down in the rainforest, and this is pretty common, I, I, I love going bushwalking um, in the rainforests around Cairns, and uh, often on the trails that I go down, one of the trees will, uh, the, the trail will be disrupted from the way it was the previous time I was there because of a big tree that's come down. And immediately when that happens, the resource that all of the smaller trees are competing for uh, will, uh, is light. And so all of the smaller trees will start to grow like crazy to get to the light. But at the end of the day, there really can only be one winner and the space that the tree that's fallen down uh, will leave will be filled by another major canopy tree uh, within over time. And there can only be one winner with that situation. And so that would be an example of competitive exclusion. Now, the final concept that I'd like to deal with in this podcast is a keystone species. Now, within these ecosystems and these niches, some of the species play critical roles. Uh, and it, without that species being present in um, the ecosystem, the entire ecosystem would change its structure altogether. And... And in the title of the name, this species is a keystone species into managing that ecosystem. Now, there's an amazing documentary that was put on, um, that, that I watched on Yellowstone National Park. And look, I can't remember the exact dates here, but I think that it was something like uh, in the 70s, well, up until the 70s, wolves had been hunted to extinction from Yellowstone National Park. So there were no wolves there. And a conscious decision was made to return a pack of wolves to Yellowstone National Park. And um, people, didn't, people hadn't realised the impact that these wolves would have on that ecosystem. And because of the return of the wolves... Uh, the, this, this major apex predator, the wolves started to hunt on the, on the deer that lived in the park. And it changed the behaviour of the deer. Um, so much so that the deer stopped using the same areas that they used to 
that they used to use to forage because they were exposed to the wolves and, and they moved to areas uh, that the wolves couldn't attack them as easily. And because of the, the deer moving from these areas, uh, the, the, area, the areas that they had been started to regrow. And a lot of these places were along the banks of the rivers. And so the trees that they were eating and, and preventing from growing started to grow into really large trees. And the large trees then uh, held the banks of the river together. And in the end, the entire shape of the rivers uh, changed because of the return of these wolves. And the, the effect of having wolves return to Yellowstone National Park uh, had, a, had a profound effect on that ecosystem. The, the documentary goes through um, this change, and it's a beautiful documentary because the, the environment over in Yellowstone National Park, very different from Cairns. It's lovely to see, and it goes through uh, the, full, the full season. So I, if, if I'm able to, I'll, I'll put the link in um, to this uh, podcast, and I highly recommend that it's something that you watch. It, it's a really beautiful documentary. All right, well, uh, that concludes this podcast for today. And um, uh, thank you for listening.